Well, good morning. And uh, I just want to say thank you to Christine and the band for leading us in worship this morning and for bringing prayers and bringing us to um, a place where we gather together um, not simply to, to watch, but to take part. It's, a, it's corporate worship, and we all bring our own heart, our own voice, and our own response to God. So this morning, we're, we're looking at the story of, of Jonah. And in particular, um, we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 1. Now, if I say the word Jonah, just a couple of people, just call out what springs to mind. A whale. <laughs> a whale. Right, okay, yep. Yep, absolutely. That's exactly what, um, what most people would say. Anything else? You, you've read the preaching plan. Disobedience, yes, yep. A loner. Jonah the loner, yeah, yeah. You see, all of these things, all of these things are probably fairly common um, responses when, when you say what springs to mind, when we, when we say the word Jonah, that's what most people will think of. What we're going to do this morning is we're just going to work through um, the, the opening chapter of Jonah, and it's going to be split into two parts, okay? So we're going to be looking at, um, uh, chapter one is actually 17 verses, but we're going to do 16 Verses. Okay, the, the 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 last one. We're not going to go too deeply into into the fish or the whale. Okay, um, I know for a lot of people you'll be like, oh, well, that's the best bit. But we're actually going to be looking at the storm. This series is called Through the Storm, and so it's the storm that we're going to be focusing on, and that that happens in chapter one. But the way we're going to split it this morning, it's not going to be an equal split. Um, I'm going to read the first two verses. And then I'm going to stop, and that's kind of going to be the first half of the sermon. I'm telling you this because otherwise you'll be thinking, oh, crikey, we've, we've, been here for, we've been here for 20 minutes, and he's only done the first two verses. But don't worry, because the first two verses um, tell us so much about Jonah. So, Jonah chapter 1 begins. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, from the answers you've already given me, you know what Jonah's response is going to be to this. When Jonah receives that instruction, he has this rush of fear. This rush of fear which drives him not only to say, "Um, no, (laughs) sorry, not doing that, but to actually turn and flee. But why? Why is that his reaction? Well, when I was, when I was at college, um, we had a trip to the British Museum with, with um, one, of the, one of our lecturers who specialised in biblical archaeology, and it was fascinating. They do tours every now and then. If you ever get the chance to do one, I'd highly recommend it. Um, you get to see all these different artefacts that we've pilfered from different countries over, over the years. Um, but they, they, there's so much evidence and there's so many things that you, you, you look at and you read and you think, hang on, that's, that's exactly what's referred to in, in, in the Bible. There's so much evidence. And it, it's sometimes, you know, we are a people, let's face it, we, we live by faith, yes, but we all love a bit of hard evidence, don't we? And so often we can look at the Bible and think, well, I, I really want to believe in that, but I wish there was evidence. Well, actually, there is. There is a lot of evidence for so much of what the Bible says. And so I'd recommend going and having a look at it for yourself. Anyway, we were on this trip and we got into one room and there was this great big stone mural, I suppose you'd call it, on the wall that had been carved. And it was a little bit like the Bayeux Tapestry in the sense that it went frame by frame telling a story. 
The first one, um, there was there was what looked like a, some sort of a castle um, with people in it, soldiers guarding it, and uh, it was explained that was a city. The next one, um, the there's a there's an army surrounding the city, and you can tell that they're not they're not there to protect it; they're holding it under siege. The next one, um, there's clearly a battle going on, and the last one, um, our guide said, right, okay, what do you think's going on here? And it looked for all the world as though there was one soldier being helped out of his clothing by another. And I suggested that, and he said, nope. And someone else said, well, it's just been a battle, so is this dead bodies being stripped of, of things that might be worth something? And he said, no, good guess, but no. He said, this was the Assyrian army who have just attacked this city. And the Assyrian army were known for being pretty brutal. You didn't really want to upset them. Because if you did, and you had a battle with them, and you lost the battle, and you got taken prisoner, one of their sort of party tricks was skinning their prisoners alive. Yeah, nice. And in this stone mural, what you see, what I thought was someone having their clothing pulled off them, a bit like you might help a child get out of its, out of its jumper, this was actually someone being skinned alive. So you can kind of understand, when God says to Jonah, when he tells him, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me, you can appreciate why Jonah was a bit reluctant. I think most of us would probably have the same sort of reaction. This was not an, an invitation that he particularly wanted to take up. Now, when I ask the question, what springs to mind when I say the word Jonah, um, you, 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 I'm quite pleased to say um, you came out with whale and we, we, had, we had a few other bits and pieces that were thrown in, all of which were absolutely right. But no one said prophet. You see, Jonah was actually a really, really important prophet. And it's important that we know this because it's all about understanding the storm that we're going to look at in the, the second part of the sermon. In this, this first part of the sermon, um, I just wanted to understand the context of what, what had happened, what God had done before the storm came, because it is so important to having a full and rounded appreciation and being able to learn from the storm that Jonah went through. So, if we go back... To two kings, chapter 14, verse 25. This is um, talking about King Jeroboam, who wasn't a particularly well-liked king, but it says this. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah. In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from gath Hepher. So Jonah doesn't just suddenly appear in this story. He's not just, oh, you know, there's a guy called Jonah. It's not like, say, say Job, the book of Job, where we don't really know anything about Job, and there's been all sorts of, um, of, of theories about who Job may have been, but we don't really know. Here, with Jonah, he's, he's spoken about, he's clearly a prophet to the king. He was instrumental in enlarging the boundaries of Israel. He would have had political influence, social influence, maybe even military influence. Jonah is actually a big player 
in, in Bible history at that time, at that particular period. So some people sort of look at the book of Jonah and say, it can't be true. It can't be. I mean, he's followed by a fish, really? But actually, Jonah as a character can be placed historically. Now, something else which I found interesting when I was preparing for this, for this series is historians, um, historians who accept Jonah um, can be placed historically have said that he was probably, this probably took place around 760 BC. Now that's really important because in five years either side of that time, Nineveh or Assyria in general went through a torrid time. They had plague after plague, which wiped out a lot of their forces. They became less powerful. There were revolts from inside, and also from from the outside, their enemies began to advance on Nineveh, which was a key city in the Assyrian Empire. And so, at the time that Jonah was told by God to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, Nineveh was actually on its knees. They had seen plague, they had seen rebellion, they knew that their enemies were closing in on them. They were vulnerable, they were desperate. This was the perfect time to go and take God to them. When I take funerals, I really enjoy the experience because it's an opportunity to talk about God when people want to hear about God. For so many people out in the world, God is a complete irrelevance. Most of the time when things are going well, I earn my pay packet, I pay my mortgage, I've got my car, I've got my family, I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got it under control. And then of course something happens that demonstrates that no, you haven't got it under control. Actually everything is temporary. Nothing is quite as as solid and dependable as we think it might be. At any moment, the earth can fall from beneath our feet and we can find ourselves clinging on by our fingernails. And that's when people want to hear about God. So it's important to know that about Nineveh. Because in those first two verses, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. This isn't a sudden, God sort of suddenly thinks one day, hey, I've got an idea, um, uh, just randomly pick you. And off you go to Nineveh. This was, this was part of God's plan. We can see that he, he knew what was going on in the world. He had planned this. He had called a specific person to do a specific job. And although Jonah had no idea... God was in control. And that's important for us to know. You might be sitting here today in the middle of a personal storm. And you might be thinking, I'm being thrown about, I'm desperate here, I've got no idea what to do, I've got no idea where I'm going to end up. God's gone before you. God's put you where you are for a reason. And you may not have any idea what that reason is, But make no mistake, God is in control. When I when I used to work up in up in the city, I had um, a boss who is managing director. It was a fairly small um, company I was working for at the time, and. uh, 
he wasn't a particularly nice guy, to be honest. Um, we used to call him the seagull, because most of the time, he would just float around at a high level, playing golf, having nice lunches, not doing much. Every now and then, he would swoop down, squawk like anything, flap around, drop a load of mess everywhere, and then disappear again. <laughs> and sometimes you'd walk into the office and someone would say, Matters, careful, seagulls around. You think, oh no, really? Right, okay, I'm gonna, I'll give it 10 minutes, I'm going to disappear. And you'd, you'd avoid this guy. And he um, uh, eventually squawked at the wrong person and was sacked. And there was jubilation throughout the office. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. I'd love to, I mean, I suppose it was sort of biblical because we had a day of feasting. <laughs> Vague parallel. Um, but you see, we did that and it was, it was great and everyone was so relieved and everyone relaxed. And people were saying, oh, we're going to have a, this is going to be brilliant. There's, there's no one, there's no one that's going to stop us going out and having fun. And do you know what? By the end of that year, we'd had the best year that our, our, our company had ever had. Because suddenly, people, um, people were working at a purpose. We wanted to work for each other. We wanted to pull together. We were enjoying what we were doing. At first, it seemed like this is, um, this is dreadful and there were, there were question marks over the future of the firm because, um, because suddenly the figurehead was gone and people outside were looking in saying, oh, that's awful, I'm so sorry to hear that. But, sorry? What are, you, what are you talking about? You see, we knew what was going on. We could see the benefit of this. But from the outside looking in, people thought, this must be a disaster. But there was a benefit. It looked like a storm. And to be honest, there were times where it would have been useful to have a, a figurehead, mainly for us all to sort of have, have a united cause that we all disliked. Um, it pulls people together, doesn't it? But, um, but it, it was good. It was good. Good came from it, even though it seemed like a negative situation. So Jonah's been told to go to Nineveh, and we now know that that was not an attractive invitation. So Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, which... Um, is generally assumed to be somewhere on the, on the coast of Spain, where a river comes out. Um, a lot of smelting took place there. There was mining and minerals in the area. So that was where he was going. It's fair to say Jonah probably had never had reason to go to sea before. So it's quite a big thing for him to get on a ship and to go off to sea. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So we're told there in no uncertain terms, Jonah's motivation is to flee from the Lord. He wasn't planning to do it before God spoke to him. He just thought, I'm, I've, I've heard from God before, I've been a prophet, I've, I've enlarged the borders, I've spoken to the king, I've done my bit. This is a step too far. So his key motivation here is fleeing from God. And sometimes we might feel that God puts something on our hearts. And we don't want to do it because we're comfortable, we're happy, we, we know there's risk involved in doing that. But fleeing from God is the worst thing we can do. So Jonah's on the boat. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So we've just had Jonah's motivation for fleeing. It was to flee from God. That was his motivation for being on the boat in the first place. And here we have God's motivation. You see, the storm came from God. 
the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, such a violent storm that it threatened to break the ship up. I mean, that must have been pretty terrifying. Um, apparently, it's not unusual if you're, if you're not a sailor and you're in a storm, then the best thing to do is to go to the bottom of the boat because everything else is being rocked around and the most stable place is the bottom of the boat. You want to try and get as low as possible. I've always thought, actually, I'd rather be out up on deck, so if it does break up, I can, I can jump ship. But I've not been in that situation, so I'm sure that if I was tested like that, I'd probably want to go to the place where you're not being thrown around too much. Even the sailors are afraid. These are experienced men of the sea. They've, they've been on boats all their lives. They're from a, 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 a port, and yet even they are terrified. And so imagine how Jonah and anybody else who was passenger on his ship, would have been feeling. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. So suddenly, they're at that point of vulnerability. They're at that point where they want to hear about God all of a sudden. Suddenly, God's become quite important to them, but they come from a a polytheistic society, a society where there were all different gods, and it was kind of, you know, pick a god, shoot any god, um, whichever one takes your fancy. And so they were crying, they were giving them all a go. They were crying out to all sorts of different gods. And they're chucking over the cargo. They're trying to lighten the ship. They're desperate. Valuable cargo. This wasn't a decision that would have been taken lightly. But they throw it overboard because they know that if they don't, then suddenly their own lives are in danger and they value their lives a lot more than their cargo. Jonah's gone down below deck where he's laid down and fallen into a deep sleep. This wasn't a sleep because he was ignoring the storm. We shouldn't think that he wasn't afraid. This was a terror. This was going down again. I've read a few accounts recently of people who have been in in similar sort of situations on the sea and apparently the fear can just grip you to such an extent that you can barely even stand. Your your legs are going, your your heart's going. All you can do is, is lay down and you almost faint. This isn't a asleep this isn't a peaceful sleep this isn't like when jesus is asleep in a boat and there's a storm going on and jesus is at peace jonah is anything but peaceful the captain goes down to him and says how can you sleep get up and call on your god maybe he will take notice of us and we won't perish come on we need everybody just choose a god and pray to him we've got to give one of them's got to work surely Then the sailors said to each other, come on, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Casting lots was um, used as a way of, of making decisions in those days. We see, um, we see the Roman soldiers casting lots for Jesus' clothes. We see the disciples casting lots to choose a successor to Judas. And sure enough here, they cast lots. And so when the lot fell on Jonah, as far as they were concerned, well, that's it then. It's you. It's your fault. What are you doing here? Who are you? We've taken you on board. You've paid your fare, but it's confession time, son. Come on, tell us. What's going on? So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble against us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? Tell us everything about you. And Jonah identifies himself. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Jonah makes a statement. He says, I'm, I'm from God. He was actually a prophet of God. 
He wasn't just happened to have been born a Hebrew. He had been chosen by God. He was a man of God. This terrifies them. They ask, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Just tell us anything. What, what do we need to do? We'll do it right now. Because if this is your God, he started it, he can stop it. Jonah had no idea that there was a fish, a whale, whatever we call it, lurking in the area. He knows he's fled from God. He's been disobedient. His fear has led him to disobedience. So when he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm, I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. He's signing his own death warrant. He's got absolutely no idea of God's plan. There's this awful, horrific storm that at any minute could break up the boat. It's threatening them. And he's saying, you've got to throw me in there. No one could possibly survive that. He knows that. He's signing his own death warrant here, but he knows it's the right thing to do. He was used to hearing from God. He was a prophet. He'd received instruction from God in the past. And so he recognised when God was talking to him. We're not told how God communicated that to him, but he knew. He recognised the voice of God. And he knew He had to throw himself overboard or be thrown overboard. This was a horrible idea to the men that he was sailing with. They do their best to row back to land, but of course they couldn't. In a normal storm, I don't know, maybe they might have stood a chance, but God was in control of this storm. And so they were never going to achieve that. The sea grew even wilder before them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. In other words, God, we're, we're about to murder this guy. Please don't, don't, don't take it out on us. But we've got no choice. He's told us to. That's, that's the deal. And so eventually, they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So they've tried every other god. They've been calling out to to the god of the wind, the god of the rain, the god of the sea, the god of water, the god of everything. They've been calling out to all sorts of gods and none of them's worked. And then uh, uh, Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. As soon as he said, I'm a Hebrew, they would have, oh, right, so you worship that god. Okay, right, well, give it a go then. Come on, pray to him. And then Jonah says, "He'll, he'll stop this storm, but you've got to throw me overboard. What sort of God is this? That's awful. We can't, oh, really? We've got to do that? And over he goes, and then suddenly, he's gone. The waves are still. The wind's dropped. The rain's stopped. They're just floating. I imagine they were a little bit uneasy. As far as they're concerned, they just sent a man to a watery grave. But the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land, was the only God out of any of them that have just been appealed to who's done anything. And so these men recognise God. 
and they bow down to him. They offer a sacrifice and they make vows to God. When we are obedient to God, no matter how odd it may seem, what we're being told to do, it's very easy for us to think, well, hang a second, this makes no sense, so I'm not going to do it. And that's our own pride getting in the way. We sang a song earlier about laying down our life. I give you everything. Giving God everything means being prepared to show the obedience that eventually Jonah demonstrates. Allowing himself to be thrown overboard to what he thought was a certain death. And then suddenly, through that, not only, not only is Jonah saved, but all those people on the boat recognise God. They see the power of God working amongst them. They see the power of God to overcome the storm. It suddenly calms. Sometimes I think to myself with Jonah, it must have been a really, when he heard that from God, how did he know? Because surely when you're in that situation, you think, well, I could, I could jump out, yeah, but that, I'm going to die. It might be a, a quick way to go rather than just keeping on delaying the inevitable. But surely you want to be doing things. You want to be running around, right, pull that rope tight, let, let that sail down. I don't, I'm no sailor, but you want to be doing things. Chuck that overboard, get rid of this, we don't need that. Patch up that hole, stick your finger in there. Come on, anything we can do to keep this thing afloat. Your first thought wouldn't be, I'm jumping over the side. It's a really counterintuitive thing to do. But when God is working in our lives, when God is calling us to do something, sometimes we have to do the thing that feels wrong. We have to do the thing that makes no sense to us, and yet we know God's telling us to do it. And that's what Jonah does here. And so that storm teaches us an awful lot about God. It teaches us an awful lot about the way that that God works in the world around us and that when we find ourselves heading into choppy waters and we think, I don't really want to face this, God has gone before us. He has planned it. God knew that Nineveh was was on its knees. This was the perfect time to send Jonah in. And sure enough, when when Jonah, having, having been through the belly of the fish for three days, been spewed up on land, which you all explained earlier when you shouted out, whale, we know that story, don't we? What we might not know is that the Assyrians believed that the city of Nineveh had been established, had been built originally by a sort of a demigod who was half man, half fish. And so when they heard the story of a guy who'd spent three days inside a fish and then been spewed up on land. And that guy came to their city. They listened to what he said because they identified with him. You see, even that bizarre part of Jonah's story, which we can almost feel uncomfortable about because, come on, that's pushing it a bit, isn't it? Even that was key to God's plan in making sure that Jonah went to Nineveh, preached to them, and they responded 
by showing obedience to God. The story of Jonah is an incredible demonstration of the way that God works in in his life, but also in our lives. When we go through storms, whether it be as as a church, whether it be as a country, whether it be as a family, whether it be as individuals, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that God is in control. Every step of the way. He's, he's seen to every single detail. And although we might not have that, that ability, just like with Jonah, we can look back at history and we can see the whole picture. We can't do that in our lives because we are right here. But God is right here. And we're called to trust in him and to show obedience when he calls us to act. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for this story of Jonah. Lord God, I thank you for the way that through history you reveal to us so much about the way that you use us, the way that you, you, just, you just have total control over every detail of our lives. And Lord, although sometimes we can't see that ourselves, forgive us, Lord, for the times when we don't, we don't react in a way you'd want us to react. But Father, thank you that you are an all-powerful God. You created us. You've designed the world for us. You've set out a path for us to follow. And Lord God, this morning we, we pray as a, as a church and as individual children of God that when you call us, you would call us clearly. That we would have the faith and the courage to respond as you want us to. And that we must remember that every single storm we go through Whatever we feel, we must know that you are in control. So Father God, bless us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this morning. And as we, as we finish our time together in worship, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit so that when we go out and face the world, although we might not be going to face the Assyrians in Nineveh, Lord, whatever storm we face, bring us through it. And help us learn from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.